Well, I'm not going to say anything about the Georgia-Alabama game. So if you're waiting for that, it's not coming. Don't know what to say on that. But anyway, like, uh, like I said, this is the second Sunday of Advent. And Advent is, the, the best way to explain Advent, it is a, the coming. And when we think of Advent, we know the first Advent was when Jesus came to the world. But it's not just once. Advent is also, there is another Advent, and that's when Jesus comes again. And that is where Tom went last week. That is our hope. And Advent is about looking backwards to Jesus's first coming, but it's also about looking forward to when he'll come again. So if that's the definition of Advent, what I, what I like to, when I think of Advent, what, what do you do in Advent? Advent is mostly about waiting. Advent's about waiting. In the Old Testament, that was seen as they would wait. The Old Testament prophets and the people of Israel were waiting for their Messiah to come. And then now, still in the New Testament, we are also waiting faithfully waiting and waiting for the second coming of Jesus. This waiting, I think, can only be done through faith. This isn't just waiting for something to happen and hoping blindlessly, but it can only be done through faith. It can only be done when we understand the person that we are waiting for, which will ultimately sustain our faith. So our waiting can only be done through faith and it can only be done when we understand the person that we're waiting for, which will sustain our faith. Now I use this verse in Hebrews 11 because I feel like it's important to define faith before we go any further and understand together biblically what faith is. After we do that, we wanna, I wanna look at a passage in Luke chapter two, which you'll probably be very familiar with and highlight a few things and then we'll go from there. So in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that faith is more than just a belief in the intellectual sense, not just belief. It's also not a blind assumption. You're not blindly assuming that something could happen. But instead, faith is actually a conscious choice. You're consciously choosing and submitting yourself to something. This verse says that faith is confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. And we realize that by, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. It explains it with three C's, which is helpful. Thank you, author of Hebrews. Confidence, conviction, and commendation. Now, each of those things have different aspects that we should look at. Confidence is important. When we look forward to hope, what we're hoping for, we have to understand what that means in order to have confidence in it. As we look forward and hoping, our hope is not just an ethereal thing that may happen one day. Yes, we've been saved by grace through faith, but what, is Je what does Jesus want to do, not just in our lives, but in the world and throughout human history? Jesus desires to come back to the earth again make every wrong thing right and bring restoration, to vindicate the elect. And that is the place where our hope is found. And this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's speaking on the resurrection, talking about Christ's resurrection and saying that he preceded us now because he's been raised, we also will be raised. And if he hasn't been raised, you're to be pitied more than any other person. You have no hope. 
Because he has been raised, we have hope. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we have hope. And at the second coming, which is what we are waiting for, for that advent, we also will be raised and be with him. What does this mean today? Because his second coming has yet to happen, our confidence or assurance is also what the word would be. Our confidence is that that it will happen is the definition of our faith. Our faith is the substance of what we are waiting for. We live with assurance and confidence that Jesus will return and vindicate the elect. But it's not only confidence. The author of Hebrews says it's also a conviction. The definition of conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion. Even though we cannot see Jesus, we firmly believe the things that he said. We cannot see what we hope for in the future, but we firmly believe that Jesus will bring these things about. It may feel eternal or ethereal, excuse me. It may feel ethereal to some of us to think, wow, Jesus is a man and he's coming back to the earth. But with conviction, we are firmly believing that that is real and that that is going to happen in the same way that we firmly believe Jesus came to the earth the first time. And then he uses the word commendation. By faith, people of old received their commendation. This is important because I think a lot of times we like to separate the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the author of Hebrews is actually saying there's no distinction. The Messiah came and he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is fulfilling the prophecies given about him. And so by faith, the people of old received their commendation. A lot of times we separate it because in the Old Testament, we read about the law and we read about animal sacrifices and we read about all these things. But those things were only symbolic of a true salvation that is found in Christ alone. By faith, people of old received their commendation. So now that we understand the definition of faith, that it's confidence, that it's conviction, it's a firmly held belief in something, I think of two people that come to mind specifically around the theme of Christmas and Advent that, in my opinion, we can be inspired from. And so let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. As I mentioned, this is probably a passage you're very familiar with. I know for me, I grew up reading this passage on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, I think New Year's even, I think, you know, every day leading up to Christmas, right? This is a very familiar passage to some of us. But I want to read a section of verses, and it's uh, multiple verses from verse 22 to 38. So it's a, a lengthier section. And as I read this, I want you to listen and read along with me. And there's two things I want to highlight. First is an event that happens a transition that is happening that we see taking place. And then second, I want to talk about two people, two characters in these specific verses where I think we can be inspired and learn something from their faith. So Luke chapter two, verse 22, let's read this together. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and raising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So in these passages, right, I think you're probably familiar with this. You've read this. You read this at Christmas time. You read this Christmas Eve. You read this all month long, probably. And the temptation, I think, is to be over-familiar right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And we can be so familiar with this passage that we think what we know and we understand what's happening at Christmas, what's happening at Advent. But I'm reading this, and this morning I'm hoping that we would have a fresh understanding. And this month, I'm hoping that we would have a fresh understanding of what's happening. That we wouldn't grow so familiar with the Christmas story that we forget the, the man, Jesus, who's behind this message. Now, in these passages, there's two things that I think is happening. First, when the Messiah is coming to the world, the old era is passing away. The old way of which things are done is passing away. But not only is the old era passing away, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is happening. So there's no conflict between that old era and the fulfillment and the Messiah coming into the world. The old era was the time of the law and the prophets. And the Messiah is bringing a transition to the world. The Messiah has arrived and he is fulfilling the law and the prophets and the things that were spoken about him. But in that transition, it's not that he is bringing something new. In that transition, he is fulfilling what has been spoken. And there is no conflict in the old era that is transitioning. In fact, in these verses, we see that Joseph and Mary, as they're committing him to God, they do so according to the law. In fact, four times, I think it may be even five times, they say in in verse 22 and 23, it says, according to how it's written in the law of Moses and the law of the Lord. And again, in verses 24 and 27, they are bringing him and committing him to God according to the law. 
There is not a conflict with the old era and the coming of the Messiah. He is fulfilling what has been spoken. So we also see two characters. Now we know this transition is happening. There are two characters that are mentioned in these verses that God uses, I think, to speak into this transition. And these are two characters that maybe we don't talk a lot about during Christmas, but it's Simeon and Anna. Simeon has a more prominent role. Anna, maybe you haven't even thought about her and her involvement in this story. But over the last few weeks, I've spent time thinking about Simeon and Anna and, and the lives that they lived, and it brought encouragement to me in regards to faith. Simeon and Anna were probably some of the more devout people in their community. Um, they were two people that I think had an understanding of the scriptures and what the scripture says about the Messiah. And they waited and they were faithfully and patiently waiting for the day that the Messiah would come. So what do we know about Simeon? Well, Simeon, he was a righteous and devout person, it says. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says that it had been revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. Simeon was an older man, and most likely he had been waiting for this moment most of his life. A few things that come to my mind when I think about Simeon. First, it had been revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. My guess is that this was not very accepted in his community and probably not even in his family. Now, we don't know that, but that is my guess. Israel was living in a time of Roman occupation. The land of Judea was flooded with Roman military. You can, we, we know that it, was, it probably had at least one Roman legion, which is about 5,000 men occupying the nation of Judea. And that's not that big of a, of a place, but it probably had two, 10,000 military men occupying this land. And most of Israel, I think at this time, they were desperate to see something change. This has to change. We need the Messiah to come and to deliver us from Roman occupation, to deliver us from our enemies. And the expectation that they had for this Messiah was a king, a king who was coming with authority, a king who was coming with the sword, and he was bringing his kingdom to get rid of all other oppressors of the people of Israel. That was the expectation that the Jewish people had of the Messiah. And so Simeon, you know, maybe who knows when he received this revelation, but he said, I'm not going to die before I see the Lord's Christ. This is what the Lord spoke to him. And he's carrying this all the while, if you know much about the history of this time period, there were revolts happening. The reason the two, likely two legions of the Roman army were occupying Judea is because of the Jewish revolts. The Jewish people were not happy about the Roman Empire and the expansion of the Roman Empire across that part of the world. And Israel, Judea, was a very strategic place for the, empire, for the Roman Empire. But Simeon, despite looking crazy, most likely looking crazy to his family and to his friends and to his community, he still believed that he would see the Christ. He stayed faithful, faithful to the word of the Lord and waited. But not only that, I think that Simeon had to have studied the scripture and had an understanding of who the Messiah would be. I think the most difficult part for Simeon probably would have been recognizing that this was the Messiah. 
As I just said, Israel was waiting a kingly leader to deliver them. They were awaiting someone who would get rid of Rome and the oppression Rome had brought on the people of Israel. They probably were not waiting for someone who was born in Nazareth. In fact, the, the, uh, what was known of Nazareth was not that good. In, first, in John 1, 49, Nathaniel says, what good can come of Nazareth? And Mary and Joseph bring Jesus and Simeon's there. And Simeon had the discernment and the understanding of the scriptures to recognize that this baby is the Messiah. This baby is the Messiah. I think Simeon probably had a greater understanding of what we read of in Isaiah 53. He understood that the Messiah was someone who is despised. The Messiah was someone who would be rejected by men, someone who would grow up before the people, the community, like a shoot coming from a humble upbringing. Simeon did not give into the religious pressure surrounding him in that day. He had a revelation or an understanding of the Messiah that he would come in a humble way, maybe even like a baby in a manger. Initially, he would come in meekness and in humility instead of thunderous power and dominance, like a king to deliver the people. He knew that initially, this Messiah would come in a meek and humble way. And he also understood in the prophetic passages what this Messiah would do. He prophesies more or less in this passage and says that this Messiah is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in the land of Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your one soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's verses 33 and 30 through 35. Simeon's speaking to a baby, and he says that God will use this baby to be light to the world and a revelation to the Gentiles. This is the promise that Israel has carried for centuries knowing that God would be made great, that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And now Simeon is saying that light has come into the world, the world that is filled with darkness. The light has now come and he will bring the good news, the, the revelation of God to the Gentiles. Not only that, but he would also bring glory to Israel. This is great. In Luke chapter one, we see what Israel expected that glory to look like. They expected to be delivered from oppression, oppression from all their enemies and for the covenant promises of the Old Testament to be fulfilled so that all may serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of their life. That was their expectation of what glory being restored to Israel would look like. <clears throat> but Simeon noticed that it would happen in a slightly different way. In fact, maybe Jesus would be the stumbling block of Israel. Simeon understood that he was appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, a sign 
that is opposed. And for Mary specifically, he says, a sword will pierce through your one soul also. And that he would reveal the hearts of many. Mary experiencing, living, raising this man, Jesus, up until his death, watching him being crucified on a cross as the man of sorrows, feeling the piercing in her soul. He was appointed for the fall and rise of many. He knew that first the Messiah would be rejected, and he prophesied this. This is Simeon. He was faithful throughout his life. He was confident in the things that would come. He was convicted. He firmly believed these things, and he knew that by this faith, he would be commended to God. But we also see another character in this section of verses, and her name's Anna. I think Anna, there's only three or four verses, I think it was, and it's very easy to look over Anna. We don't know much about her. But I think that she's just as important of a figure and just as much a role model in regards to faith. She was a prophetess, it says. She was advanced in years, 84 years old. And it says she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and with prayer night and day. It says that Anna married and lived with her husband for seven years and then he died. She was a widow. Now, most likely at this, at, in this uh, culture and during this time period, women would marry around 15 or 16 years old. So Anna was 15 or 16. She got married seven years after she's married, her husband dies. Anna was probably 22 or 23 years old and she became a widow. From 22 or 23 years old until she is 84, it says that every day she spent in the temple, night and day, worshiping, praying, and fasting, waiting, eagerly waiting for the Messiah. I think that Anna had a revelation, an understanding of who the Messiah would be and of the glory of the Messiah. And that understanding, I think, is what sustained her during this time. And not only that, but if you think about it, I think it's normal to think of people who are older and, and more mature in the faith. And it makes sense that they would be more committed. But I, like, I, I look at Anna and I think, what did Anna feel when she was 22 years old? What did Anna feel just after her husband had died? She just experienced a crisis in her life. First off, how in the world are you gonna get over that? You're 22, 23 years old, probably, and you just experienced a crisis. How are you gonna get over that? Second, how are you gonna get over that and not be offended with God? How are you gonna get over that and not be offended with God? But Anna, in light of, it, it, despite that crisis, Anna chose, instead of running away from God, she chose to run to God. She chose to run towards God and not just towards him. For 61 years, day in and day out, Anna was at the temple praying, worshiping, and fasting, eagerly awaiting to see the Messiah. I think that Anna had a glimpse of who he was. I think she had an understanding of who, what he will do and what he will bring to the world. And that glimpse, that picture, that understanding, that revelation, I think led her to be able and sustained her to be able to sacrifice so much in her life. 
And now today, you know, we also live by faith. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill the law and the prophecies. As we await his second coming, we continue to live in faith that all of these prophecies would be fulfilled. This requires us to have an understanding and a revelation of who Jesus is, the way that Simeon and Anna did. I believe that what sustains our faith is when we have a glimpse of who he is, of his beauty, of his love, of his glory. And when we see it, it motivates us to continue to press on in faith. In life, we can be tempted to be offended with God. I imagine that Anna was very tempted to be offended with God. Her husband had passed away. She is now a widow at a very young age. She could have very easily started her life over. But instead of doing that, and instead of running away, she committed herself to God. I think that she had an understanding. She was able to see who he was. Simeon, in the same way, Who knows what his community was like? It doesn't describe that in the scriptures, but I imagine there was a lot of pressure around what Simeon thought to be true. Not only that, but for him to be able to recognize this baby as the Messiah, Simeon had to have understanding from the Old Testament. He had to have revelation about the prophecies regarding Jesus. Both of them had confidence of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen, and realize that by faith, they would receive their commendation. During Advent, obviously this is a season centered on Christ. And my encouragement for us, as familiar as we may feel, as familiar as the season may seem, as much as we may know Luke chapter two and the life of Jesus, if you've grown up in the church, my encouragement to us is to take a step back and to ask God to open our eyes again. Let us see Jesus again. Just after Simeon spoke these words over Jesus, it says, Mary and Joseph looked and they marveled. What if we could get to the place in this month and in our lives where we look at Jesus and we marvel. That it's no longer approaching God and and the circumstances of our life are so real, but it's no longer bringing all of our circumstances and and desperately praying, God, help this, help that, help that. But instead, those things pale in comparison to how beautiful he is, which led Anna to give every day after a crisis in her life, led her to give every day to marvel and to wait, faithfully waiting and believing that he would come. I'm gonna invite Spencer to come up here and we're gonna transition into a time of ministry. And before we do that, I'll give uh, some short instructions in a moment, but I have a prayer that I found by N.T. Wright. It was a prayer that he wrote for the Advent season. And I wanna read this prayer for us and then we will transition into a time of prayer and ministry together. As I read this, I encourage you just to bring your own hearts before the Lord. Come, Lord, and cleanse us from our sins. Your new glad work in us begin. 
Remove our idols from our sight. Let us in you alone delight. Prepare us for your coming reign by washing us from every stain. Make known to us your holy name. Let us no more turn back to shame. Call us to you from every land and guide us with your powerful hand. Show us the path that we must lead. Let us by you with joy be led. Implant your spirit in our heart that with your breath new life may start. Take from our flesh the heart of stone. Let us rejoice in you alone. For your own sake, your love display that we may worship and obey. Rebuild the wild and desert place. Let us acclaim your sovereign grace. Lord, this morning we are asking that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Yes, Lord, we are weak in our faith and we know that as we see you, our faith will be strengthened, our resolve will be strengthened, our conviction and our confidence in who you are will be strengthened. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes even just for a moment, the way that Moses saw your glory for a moment, that you would open our eyes and let us marvel at the baby who's a Messiah, at the king who's returning to the earth again. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna invite the ministry teams up here and we wanna pray for you. And I wanna pray for two things in particular. Yes, if you feel like you're struggling in your faith, but more specifically, if you don't feel like you can see him, if you don't feel like you have vision of who he is, I want us to pray for you that God would open our eyes and allow us to see him. And the second thing, if you do not know Jesus, I wanna invite you to come and have someone pray for you. And maybe you don't receive Jesus today, but why don't you step out, have someone pray for you and see what happens. If you wanna taste and see the things that we're talking about, take a step and come and receive prayer and see what God does.